Welcome to the sermon podcast of Exodus Church, located in Belmont, North Carolina. For more information about our church and the many ways you can be involved, please go to our website at theexoduschurch.org or email us at info at theexoduschurch.org. If you'll take your Bible, turn to James 2, uh, James chapter 2, verse 14 is where we will be this, this morning um, for our series in the book of James. Now, uh, we have a couple of older vehicles in our family. Uh, each of them's been giving us some trouble over the last few weeks. Uh, my truck is an older truck, and I love it. Um, a few weeks ago, I was trying to leave the office, uh, turn the key, nothing. Okay, had to call Cheryl and, you know, had to jump me off so that I could go to the store. It needed a, needed a new battery. Like it wasn't just a little bit dead. It was 100% dead and needed a new power source in the truck. Then we have a car that my kids drive. Okay. I paid a dollar for this car. All right. Uh, I bought it from a friend. They'd had lots of trouble with it. Cheryl said, are you sure we want to buy this? I said, number one, it's a dollar. Number two, I think they've fixed everything on this thing, and we've driven it for four years, okay? My goal is five more, much to Ellie's frustration, all right? Um, and so a few weeks ago, we were, a few months ago, we were having some trouble. The lights on the dashboard were doing weird things. The air conditioner wasn't blowing cold. And so we took it to the mechanic. Ellie's praying that it's given up the ghost so she doesn't have to drive it and all those things. Um, and we get to the mechanic, and he looks at it, and he says, oh, it's just a connector issue. The power's fine. The engine works fine. It's just there was a connection that wasn't being made so that the car couldn't work properly. So he fixed that and everything's running fine. Now, here in James 2, James is acting like a mechanic, okay? He's asking some diagnostic questions about our faith. He's asking diagnostic questions about what's going on under the hood of our lives so that we can see what our faith is like. He's going to ask questions like, is our faith being expressed in how we treat one another? Is our faith being expressed in how we live? Is our faith being expressed in our surrender to Jesus? And he's saying, if your faith is not expressed in these things, then there's something wrong. We need to take a look under the hood. And it may be, it may be that we need a new heart. It may be that there's just a connection from a a disconnect between the power we have in Jesus and the power we see in our lives. Whatever is going on, what James wants, James does not want to create doubt and fear. And I know some of us, whenever we read passages like this, we start to doubt whether we're saved and we're afraid. We, We have kind of that reaction. He does not want us to have doubt and fear. What he does want us to do is to diagnose our faith. He wants to... He wants us to have true living faith. And that's my hope for us today. So I'm going to read the passage. I'm going to pray. Then we're going to jump into God's word together. Look at verse 14. What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warmed and filled without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? So also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith, I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works, and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that God is one, you do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. Do you want to be shown, you foolish person, that faith apart from works is useless? Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? 
You see that faith was active along with his works, and faith was completed by his works. And the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. And he was called a friend of God. You see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. And in the same way was not also Rahab the prostitute justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out by another way. For as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead. Let's pray together. Father God, uh, there's a lot going on in this passage. Some of it is confusing. All of it is convicting. And so, Lord, we, we need your spirit to guide us into all truth today. We need you, Holy Spirit, to give us eyes to see, ears to hear wonderful things from this passage. Lord, I pray that you would guide us as we study it. I pray that you would guide my words. I pray you'd rivet my words to your word. I pray, Lord, you'd guide my heart. I pray you'd guide our hearts as we look at your word today. Holy Spirit, you know the story of every person in this room. You know, you know every heart that's listening. You know everyone. And so you're able to preach this word into their heart in a way I never could. So we ask that you would do that. And Lord, my, my, my main prayer is that we would all leave here with true living faith today. Lord, would you do that? Would you do that? That we would leave here with true living faith. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. I want to notice, I want you to notice two things before we jump in to the passage today. First, notice he's talking to believers here. He says in verse 14, what good is it, my brothers? That word brothers can be translated brothers and sisters. He's talking about the family of God, those who have been brought forth by the word of truth, who have been saved by the grace of God. That's who he's talking to. And then he's talking about people who think they are followers of Jesus. Look at verse 14. What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has has faith, but does not have work. So he's talking to Christians. He's talking about people who say they have faith, but there's no real life change expressed in their lives. And his question at the end of that sentence is, can that faith save him? James' concern is for the person who says he has faith, James' concern is that the faith he has be the, the faith that he needs. That's what he's concerned about. And so James is going to describe two kinds of faith. He's going to talk about false, dead faith, a faith that does not save. And then he's going to talk about true living faith, a faith that does save and gets expressed in how we live. Let's start with false, dead faith. Now, James wants us to understand false, dead faith does not save. It is useless. It is dead. That's what he says here in the passage. And he gives us four kinds of dead, of false, dead faith. The first one is faith without works, and that's in verse 14. Again, he's saying this person, he's talking about this person who says that he has faith but doesn't have works. And his question is, can that kind of faith save him? That's his question. Can that faith, a faith without works, save him? And James' answer is no. Not because works save, but because the faith that saves create works in our life. Saving faith creates life change. Life change does not save, but saving faith creates life change. So the first diagnostic question under the hood is, can a faith 
with no expression of life change be saving faith? And James' answer is no. Second kind of false dead faith is a faith without mercy. Look at verse 15. If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warmed and filled without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? Now, when he says, if a brother or sister, he's talking about a fellow Christian. He's talking about a fellow Christian in the church that you attend. Remember, when James wrote this letter, there wasn't a church on every corner. They would have known this person. And James' point is, if a follower of Jesus that you are in relationship with has a need that you see, and your answer to their need is, good luck with that, I hope it works out. He's saying, if you have a faith with no mercy, his question is, what good is that? In other words, can that kind of faith save? Can a faith without mercy save? And the answer built into the question is, no. Third kind of false dead faith is a faith in works. Look at verse 18. James says, but someone will say, so again, someone Someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Now, this person is saying, okay, James, you trust Jesus. I'm a good person. And and the false dead faith that James is highlighting here is, is a faith in your ability to be a good enough person. Now, the problem with our ability to be a good enough person is that you're not being compared to the person next to you. You're being compared to Jesus Perfect righteousness. And so the question is not, did you get an A? The question is, did you get a 100 all the time for the rest of eternity? And James has already told us, none of us get this. In fact, in verse 10 of chapter 2, he says, For whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point (laughs) has become accountable for all of it. So, It's not whether you make an A. It's not whether you're better than your neighbor. It's are you perfect? And the answer is no. So can can I be good enough to be a Christian? Can I be good enough to be saved? James' answer is no. And a faith in your ability to be a good person is a false, dead faith. Now, the last kind of false, dead faith is a faith without surrender. Look at verse 19. He says, You believe that God is one, you do well, even the demons believe and shudder. So this is a faith without surrender. James is talking to the person who has his doctrine figured out. He knows that God is one. He believes some things about the Bible. He knows some things that are true. And James' answer to this guy is, Good for you, so do the demons. Okay? Listen, James wants us to understand that believing right things about Jesus without surrendering to Jesus is not saving faith. It's false dead faith. You could, listen, you can know all about God and not know God. You, you can have all the right doctrine and not have true devotion. Faith without surrender is a false dead faith. James does not want us to have a false, dead faith. He wants us to have a true living faith. And so James is not concerned about our feelings in this passage. 
And I don't want him to be. I don't want James to be concerned with my feelings any more than I want a mechanic to be concerned with my feelings when I take my car. Like, I hate going to the mechanic because he always asks me questions I don't understand. And I always feel like this big whenever he starts. And then he kind of gives me that look like, oh, you're one of those, right? And I am 100% one of those. I have no, I know where the gas goes. That's the extent of my knowledge of a car, okay? And sometimes we can feel that way when we come to the Bible. But James is, I, but I don't want the mechanic to be concerned with my feelings. I want him to be concerned with my vehicle. And I don't want him to think, oh, I don't want him to feel bad about himself. I'm just going to let him leave. No, I, if I leave feeling good about myself and my car is still messed up, that's not a win. James is not concerned with our feelings. He, he's concerned with our faith. He's concerned that we have true living faith. That's what he wants us to have. James does not want us to have a false dead faith. He wants us to have true living faith. Now, before we get into that, I want to make something really, really clear. James is trying to say that true living faith produces something in us. It produces works, mercy, and surrender. We are not saved by works, mercy, and surrender, but true and living faith produces those things. We are saved by faith alone, but the faith that saves is never alone. There will, if, if we are truly saved by Jesus, there will be a change of life. Now, it might be a little bit, it might be over time, but there will be life change if we have really been saved by Jesus. That's James' point. And he gives us two examples from the Old Testament of what true and living faith looks like. Abraham and Rahab. Let's start with Abraham, okay? Abraham was the father of the faith. He was an Old Testament patriarch. You can read all about him in Genesis 12 to 25, okay? God called him to leave his country, to go to a land where he would show him. Uh, he was promised that he would be a blessing to the nations. His, wife na- his wife's name was Sarah, and he did not treat her well more than once, okay? Now, God promises Abraham in Genesis 15, He promises that he's going to have an heir and his name, he will have a son. And in Genesis 15, 6, it says, Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. James quotes that in verse 23. Abraham believed God and it was counted to him or credited to him as righteousness. Now, what that means is Abraham trusted God's word. And God credited to him or gave him this status of righteousness, this right standing before God, his sin forgiven, and he is declared righteous before God so that when God looked at Abraham, he saw righteousness. Now, the good news of the gospel is that that can be given to anyone who trusts Christ as a gift. When you come to Jesus and say, Jesus, I'm a sinner. I need to be forgiven. I know that the only hope I have for that is the cross of Jesus Christ. What God does is he takes away our sin and he declares us righteous. So that when God looks at us, he sees us through the righteousness of God. Is that not amazing? That we have been credited Righteousness, And that is not something we achieve. That's something we receive by grace 
through faith. That's what happened with Abraham in Genesis 15. Then in Genesis 22, we read about how um, Abraham and Sarah eventually have this baby. His name is Isaac. Isaac grows up and God calls Abraham to do something crazy. He calls him to sacrifice his son. Now, Abraham obeys God. He obeys him and he takes his son Isaac up on a mountain and right before Abraham is about to plunge the knife into his son's heart, God says, stop. And God provides a lamb, a ram that's caught in a thicket for the sacrifice. Now, this event in Genesis 15, when he believed God, that was an, a, a moment where God grant, uh, credited to him righteousness. This moment in Genesis 22 was an expression of that faith. And it's important that we understand the timeline here if we want to understand James chapter 2. Um, in verse 21, it says, Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? What James is trying to say is that Abraham believed God in Genesis 15. He expressed that faith in Genesis 22. And he says that in verse 22 of chapter 2 of James. He says, you see that faith was active along with his works and faith was completed by his work. So in other words, the faith that he had in Genesis 15 was expressed in Genesis 22. And what James wants us to understand is that true and living faith is expressed in our obedience to God. True and living faith is expressed in our obedience to God. Then he gives us an example of Rahab in verse 25. It says, In the same way was not also Rahab the prostitute justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out by another way. Now Rahab's story begins in the book of Joshua. This is after the after the book of Exodus, after Moses has died, Joshua is leading the people of God. They come to the city of Jericho. They send two spies into the city. Uh, they are being chased by the authorities. They run into Rahab's house for protection. And they find that Rahab has already heard about the God of the Bible. She's already heard about this God and she seems to have faith in this God in some way. And, and when, when the people tell her, when the spies tell her what's going on, she hides them and protects them from harm. And they tell her, look, we're about to attack this city. If you will uh, dangle a scarlet cloth out of your window, we will protect anyone who is hiding with you in this house behind that scarlet cloth. Well, what we see here in verse 25 is that Rahab displayed... Um, expressed her faith in God in her kindness toward God's people. That's what he's getting at in verse 25. And in the same way, just like Abraham believed God and then expressed his faith, in the same way was not also Rahab the prostitute justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out by another way? What James is saying is she, she trusted the God of the Bible in some way, and she expressed that faith and her kindness toward the people of God. Hebrews 11.31 says, By faith Rahab the prostitute did not perish with those who were disobedient because she had given a friendly welcome to the spies. She had true living faith and it was expressed in her kindness toward God's people. So what James is trying to say is that true and living faith is expressed in our obedience to God. And true and living faith is expressed in our kindness 
toward God's people, James wants us to understand, he wants us to ask the question, do we have true living faith? He does not want us to have false dead faith that does not save. He wants us to have a true living faith that does save. And that true living faith is expressed in our obedience to God and our kindness toward God's people. Now, you may have heard of a guy named Martin Luther. Like Abraham and Rahab, he was not a perfect person. But in 1517, uh, he confronted the theological error of the Roman Catholic Church by nailing the 95 Theses to the door at Wittenberg. And as you may know, Ab- uh, James, uh, hello. As you may know, Martin Luther had some really uh, difficult things to say about the book of James. He called it an epistle of straw. He almost didn't include it in his translation of the New Testament. Now, I don't know why he thought he could just not include it, but he almost didn't because of verse 24. Verse 24 says, You see, a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. And he didn't like the way that was worded because he saw how it felt dissonant uh, as you read Romans, particularly Romans chapter 3. But later... In Luther's commentary on Romans, he wrote this. Oh, it is a living, busy, active, mighty thing, this faith. It is impossible for it not to be doing good things incessantly. It it does not ask whether good works are to be done, but before the question is asked, it has already done this and is constantly doing them. Whoever does not do such works, however, he is an unbeliever. He gropes and looks around for faith and good works, but knows neither what faith is nor what good works are. So here Luther is agreeing with James in James chapter 2. He's saying a false dead faith, a false dead faith does not save, but a true and living faith expresses itself in obedience to God and kindness toward God's people. And so that leads us to a really important question today. What kind of faith do you have? What kind of faith do you have? Do you have a true and living faith? Is your faith expressed in obedience to God and kindness to God's people? Or do you have a false dead faith, a faith without works, mercy, or surrender? What kind of faith do you have? Listen, James' goal is not doubt or fear. His goal is to diagnose your faith. And it would be far better for us to diagnose our faith on this day than on the day we stand before Jesus and he says, depart from me, I never knew you. James wants us to have true living faith. So what kind of faith do you have today? What kind of faith do you have today? Do you have a faith that has no expression of life change? Do you have a faith that does not result in obedience to God? James would say, if your faith does not express itself in obedience to God, you're not a believer. Not because life change saves you, but because saving faith produces life change. We are saved by faith alone, but the faith that saves is never alone. 
Um, I was reading an update from our mission partners today, and uh, one of the updates from Reconcile Church in Greenville, South Carolina, caught my attention. Um, Will Brodus is the pastor there, and, and he was telling us about how they've been trying to serve a family in need, helping them with some of their, some of their bills and some things like that. And the family uh, that they've been helping is related to one of the biggest drug dealers in their neighborhood. Well, this drug dealer heard about what they were doing, and so he came to Pastor Will to ask for prayer and some wisdom. Will shared the gospel with this this person, and uh, he prayed to receive Christ. He submitted his life to Christ. And here's what Will said. Since this happened, we've seen a lot of of the drug activity in the area drop off. (laughs) Isn't that amazing? Now, why? Because, Because true living faith results in life change. It does. So what kind of faith do you have? Listen, if you have false dead faith, if you have false dead faith, what you need today is not a determination to try hard to be better. If you have false dead faith today, what you need is a new heart. You're like my truck. You need a new battery. You need a brand new heart. And the good news for us is that God gives those for free. To anyone who will say, I need one. To anyone who will say, God, I have no hope apart from you. I'm a sinner. I can't obey apart from you. I need a new heart. And James has already told us about the implanted word where he takes out the heart of stone. He puts in a heart of flesh. He puts his spirit inside us, writes his word on our heart so that we can live the life he's called us to do. If you have a false, dead faith, you need a new heart. You need a new heart. But for many of us, we've, we are already followers of Jesus. We don't need a, a new heart. But what we're seeing in our lives is not what we're reading about in God's word. There's a, there's a disconnect between the power we have and the power we see. And so what do we do? What do we do if the true and living faith we have, we don't always see expressed? Well, the answer in that moment is not to try harder. The answer in that moment is not to do better, is not to find, what's the list? What all do I have to do? Okay, I have to, I have to do works, I have to be merciful, I have to surrender. No, that's not, the, the answer is not to try hard. The answer is to run to Jesus and to say, Jesus, I, I know, I know the Spirit lives inside me. I know that you're my Savior. I know that you're my Lord. I know that the Holy Spirit lives inside me. But what I'm seeing in my life does not look like what I think it should. I feel broken. I feel like something is busted in my heart, Lord. Now, here's the good news. He fixes broken things. He fixes broken things. And if you come to him with a prayer, Lord Jesus, I need you, he never says no to that. In the book of John, he says, anyone who comes to me, I will in no way cast him out. Like if you come to Jesus and you're broken and you say, Jesus, I want to see real life change happen in me, but there's a disconnect between the life change I read about and the life change I see, he will give you grace to obey his word. He will give you grace to obey his word. But the most important 
question you'll answer today. Most important question you'll answer is what kind of faith do you have? Do you have a false, dead faith or do you have a true and living faith? My hope, my hope is that we would all leave here with a true and living faith because it's the only faith that saves. Let's pray together. Father God, thank you for your goodness to us. Thank you for your love for us and your kindness. Lord, I pray that we, um, that we would leave here with true and living faith today. Pray that we would be people who trust you fully and that that faith in you is expressed in our obedience to you, that that faith would be expressed in our kindness toward others. Lord, we, we want that. We need that. And so, Lord, we come to you for it. I pray for my friends who are here who, who do not yet have true and living faith, who need new hearts. I pray, Lord, that you would just captivate them, that they would be captured by your gospel, uh, that they would not be able to go to bed tonight without trusting you, that you, would, um, that you would so captivate their mind and heart that they would uh, long to follow you. Lord, would you bring, bring hearts alive? Grant true and living faith in those that have none. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen.